I invite you to uh, <clears throat> just pray with me as we start this morning. Father, I thank you for your word, and I just pray for clarity today and just the ability to speak. <clears throat> Father, with clarity, uh, as we seek to understand something of, of how you have made us and created us. And so would you just <clears throat> uh, open up our minds and our hearts to how you desire to speak to us today. Thank you for this time, in, in Jesus' name, amen. So we've been going through, this is the third week, <clears throat> in talking about ways in which God communicates with us. We talked about a number of ways. We started with a few very rare, I would call, ways in which God speaks, but he's spoken in the past, and he still speaks uh, on occasion through things like audible voice, we see angels, we see visions, <clears throat> we see dreams, are ways in which God spoke in the past, and at times has spoken to people today. We also looked at circumstances and other people, which becomes probably more common ways that the Lord is speaking to us, and so we see that Often God may speak through words of wisdom or through words of knowledge or through a prophetic word. The scripture says, do not despise these things, but always test them to make sure that they are in line with the word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God. And then we looked at some common ways in which God is speaking to people. In some of these, speaking to everyone. We looked at creation. Day and night, God is always speaking. We see that he speaks through his son. He has spoken through his son. Uh, he speaks to all people through this conscience. He gives us a sense of morality and God's law is put on the hearts of everyone. And then last week we worked, looked at the uh, importance of understanding that, that God speaks through his word. He's given us the written word, the logos word, and then he actually, through his spirit, he actually speaks that word afresh into our lives as we read it. He brings it to light. He helps us understand it. He makes it real in our lives. And so we've been looking at just all of these ways that God shows us he's a communicating God and, and wants to speak to us. This morning, as I can kind of conclude this section, I'd like you to invite you to think about how God has made you. I want to talk about the makeup of, of man, and I, I hope this will be helpful in understanding just how God desires to communicate with us. You know, there's a lot of terms biblically that sometimes are hard, I think, to fit into our lives or understand how they work. And I believe that... <clears throat> God has, part of how God has created us is, is in a way that we can commune and communicate with him. <clears throat> you know, this morning there are all kinds of messages going through this room right now. There are messages from 89Q radio station, uh, WRVM, 550 radio, if you left your, your phone somewhere, someone may be trying to call you right now and they might be leaving a message on your answering machine. So those, those messages are going out. 
If you have a device by which you can connect up with those, those uh, waves and those messages that are coming out, you can hear what people are saying, right? And so, if you think about that analogy, in the fall of man, the cell phone was broken. And all of a sudden, man has a lot of difficulty in, in hearing from God clearly and understanding. Not that God isn't speaking, but we're not able to perceive how God is speaking. God's plan is to restore that broken, that those, those broken parts that, that make it difficult for us to communicate with him. And in the work of salvation, God is seeking to, to restore us so that we can commune with him and we can fellowship with him and we can experience his presence with us. So this morning, we have, we have terms in the Bible like old nature, new nature, sinful nature, new man, the flesh, the spirit, new self, natural man, spiritual man, old self, new creation, born again. How do we, how do we fit all those terms into what's going on in our lives? I'd like to talk about body, soul, and spirit. And how does all this work? And how are these parts related? I have to tell you, by Friday morning, I was writing my sermon, and my brain was really hurting. Because <clears throat> this is not a, I want to say up front, this is not a, a simple thing to try and understand. And so I, I have to acknowledge right up front, I have a, definitely am limited in, in how much I can comprehend this. I think how much any of us can comprehend. <clears throat> My understanding of how we're made has been a work in progress. And so I'm not here to tell you I have ultimately arrived. So I'm going to share with you where my understanding is at this morning. And you may have a difference of opinion. And I just want you to know I respect that. And uh, you may be right. But I'm going to just share where, how, how I see the, the makeup of man and how I understand that to be. I believe that man, I know that man is made in the image of God. And so just like I am not going to pretend that I can explain to you the nature of God, I can understand some things about it, but I can't totally understand it or explain it to you. I think because you and I are made in the image of God, I'm not going to stand up here and pretend I can completely explain how you are made. I think we are complexly, wonderfully made, knit together in our mother's womb by a God who is way, way above us. So all that to say, <clears throat> I'm limited in, in what I can explain this morning, but I want to share some things that I hope will be helpful. There are basically three views about man. One you'll find in the secular world, it's not common in the church, and that is that man is one part. His body, everything's together. There's no separation of man has a body and then he has a spirit and the spirit's going to live on. In, in this way of thinking, when, when man dies, he dies. There's nothing. He's, he's just, there's no spirit that lives on or anything like that. And if, it, if man were to be raised up in some way, it would be all together. <clears throat> Body, soul, spirit, whatever you want to call all that. So there's just, there's no dichotomy of man. There's just one thing that is not <clears throat> a teaching that you would find in the church or in the Bible. 
Then there is the view that man is two parts. This would say that when you read through the Bible, the body and the, we, we know the body is one part and the other part is the soul or the spirit. And so there are really two parts to man. There is that spiritual part of man and then there's the physical, the material and the immaterial. And so we have, basically, we would see man in just two parts. By the way, there's a lot of support for that. Wayne Grudem, who is a systematic theologian in his work, outlines uh, man as being two parts. There are many scholars today, theologians, that would land in seeing God in two parts. And so it's definitely a possible way to look at man. Then there's a third view which says man is really three parts, three parts to us. This view says that there is a body, and then there's a soul, and and then there's a spirit. Three separate parts. And if you were to listen to probably pastors teaching today on this topic, interesting, probably most pastors would fall into viewing man in terms of three parts, not all. Many theologians would view man in two parts. And so we find that those positions are held to man as two or man as as three parts. So here's my position that I'd like to share with you this morning and and how all this helps me to understand what God is doing and how God communicates and so forth. And I am going to share the nature of man in terms of three parts. Body, soul, and spirit. I, will, I, can, I can live with defining man as body and soul as long as, as you look at the soul of man that you see at the core of that and in some way distinct the spirit of man. So if I were to look at man as two parts, I would say body and soul, but at the core of that soul is the spirit of man. So it's really still, whether you want to call it two or three, I see three parts to man. And uh, you can hear how I've arrived at that, and you can make your own decision this morning as I walk through this. So let's look at just some verses, and then we'll talk a little bit about them. Genesis 2-7 says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Uh, Many of the your translations will say the man became a living soul and so we have this body which is created and so the life that comes into man is his soul at that point it doesn't say anything about it doesn't say he became a living spirit it doesn't say he became um, it says he became a living being so this may be kind of a general statement of this living part of man apart from his body So we see early on for sure that there is a distinction between the body and what is life in the body of man. Very interesting passage in Ezekiel 36. This is a prophetic word and the Lord is speaking to his people and he's looking into the future. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit. Now as you read spirit, 
as we read a number of verses here, I want you to take note because whenever it's a small s, it's not talking about the Spirit of God. It's talking about spirit within man. So here's small s. I will put a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Uh, <clears throat> it doesn't here say I'll put a new soul in you. It says I'll put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my, capital S, I will put my spirit, in other words, the Holy Spirit, in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep them. So the, the prophetic word here is that there's coming a day when God is going to put a new spirit within his people and the Holy Spirit is obviously going to work through that new spirit to guide us, to communicate with us from God. So it's a very important part of how God has created you and is working in our lives so that he might communicate with us. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? So as a believer, when you place your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in. We know that somehow a new spirit is born within man, and we know that the Holy Spirit resides within us. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who believe in two parts of man would say that spirit and soul are synonymous here. It's not meant to be an exhaustive list. They're just uh, others believe that believe that this is identifying three distinct parts of who you are: your spirit, your soul, body. Be kept blameless at the coming of Jesus Christ. So why is this important? Why is this important? What difference does it make in our lives, in in seeing life and how we're made up this way? Well, I'll share, you, I'll share with you how this helps me to understand and to put some of these terms into, uh, into my life that I read in the Bible. First of all, it helps me understand what it means to be born again. We've heard that term. We, probably many here have heard the story of Nicodemus. This guy that comes to Jesus, you know, and he says, Lord, what, what do I do here to receive salvation, to have eternal life? And Jesus says, you need to be born again. Which would have been a confusing term for any of us. And so Nicodemus goes, I don't understand this. Am I supposed to go into my mother's womb? And Jesus said, no. You know, what's born of flesh is flesh. But what's born of the spirit is spirit. So there's this physical birth, but there's also a spiritual birth that takes place in the life of anyone who is a Christian has been, something has been born again. Something was dead and something has been born again. Well, we know it's not our body. Um, it's hard to understand that, that our, our soul was born again. Depends on how you define soul, and I'll talk about how I would look at that. But I believe here that, you know, the Bible says that 
in, the, in, the, in the, the prophetic word is that God is going to bring a new spirit into our life. A new nature is born into our life. And where is that born? I, I believe it's born into our spirit. I believe the spirit of man is renewed. That part of us that was broken when the Bible talks about the fact that, as we'll see in a moment, something has died. So it helps me understand this, this born again, that what's born within me is a, a new spirit. My spirit has come to life. It's been regenerated by the work of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, it helps me understand what died. It helps me understand what died. Genesis 2.17. We see that early on in the account, it says, you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Well, if you look at the body, at that moment, his body didn't die. If you look at the soul as our, our, our mind and our emotions and our, our will and our decision-making, then we know that at that moment, that didn't die. But we see here that something died. Something died. I believe it was that part of man which was able to, that God put within us to commune and to relate and to, to connect with God. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. You were dead and something came to life. God renewed, uh, there was an experience of the Spirit of God coming to life within us. It also helps me understand, thirdly, the place of sanctification in my life and in my soul. And that's how I would see it. So, on the one hand, we have our flesh. And Paul talks about that in Romans 7. I think we can all relate to that. <clears throat> so here I am, if, if, I, if I am born again and I receive Christ, I have a new nature I have a new spirit put within me by the Holy Spirit. But I also have my flesh. And Paul says in Romans 7, here's our dilemma. Over here, I know what I want to do because that new spirit, that new spirit absolutely 100% does not want to sin. That spirit wants to follow fully after God. That, that new spirit is, is what I've been born of that the Holy Spirit has created. That is the part of me that's seeking wholeheartedly after God, but we have our flesh. And this old nature that is contrary to the new nature, and, and then we have our soul, and I would look at that as our, our, emo, as our mind and our emotions and our behavior and our choices. And we now have a new nature that we can listen to. We now have new power in our life. We can now find freedom from our flesh and from sin in our life. And so our soul, in my mind, our soul is what is being sanctified. Our soul is what is being transformed. By the renewing of my mind, I am now being transformed. So by how, and often it's by how I think, which will influence, obviously, uh, <clears throat> you know, how I feel, or it may not. But my mind will influence my choices. My choices will influence my emotions. And this 
soulish part of me is now being sanctified and brought into line with the, the new spirit and the new nature and the new desires. And that's the place where, as Christians, we live. It helps me understand the place of sanctification and how God is at work. You know, we have patterns in our lives from walking after flesh, from being dead, and from our, our soul being disconnected from this new spirit and from the Holy Spirit. So we, we get used to thinking in certain ways and we get used to acting in certain ways and we have patterns in our life. The Bible calls them strongholds. They're ways of thinking and acting that are contrary. And so how do we deal with strongholds? We take those thoughts, we bring them captive to Christ, to the Word of God, and then we allow the Spirit of God to speak through this new spirit he's put within us and we allow him to speak new truth into our mind and to set aside the old ways of thinking and begin adhering to the, the, the voice of the spirit and we get into the word of God and we allow the word of God now to transform our minds rather than our flesh. I see that as a, for me, that helps me understand the process of what God is doing in, in my life. I love the, uh, <clears throat> I don't know who it was, but on, on their gravestone it said, uh, construction complete, thanks for your patience. And I, I think that's what the Lord is doing in our lives, and he's done it through the amazing work of putting a new spirit within us in a new nature and giving us power in that nature to begin to live our lives after God. So I would say that I live in a body, I have a soul, and I am a spirit. A spirit that was dead and has now been brought to life through the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. It helps me see where God communicates to me. <clears throat> It's by the Spirit, to my spirit, understood by my mind, felt by my emotions, acted upon by my will. And so I think and I believe that the soul and the spirit are, are linked inseparably together. I believe that God will do this process not by going around my mind, but going through my mind that God will transform my mind through his spirit. And so the, the new spirit is, is linked with my soul and it works through my soul and it's connected with me in that way. Look at this uh, passage from Romans 8. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature, not to live according to it, for if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But... If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God, capital S, in other words, the Holy Spirit, are sons of God. For you did not receive a small s. You did not receive, this is something you received from the Holy Spirit. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. By the Spirit of God we cry, Abba. And notice, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, 
himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So God creates his new spirit. Through that, the Holy Spirit testifies within you. And the reason you can sit here today and go, you know what? I, I really feel, I know in my mind and I feel in my heart and I'm going to act this out. I, I really believe that I am a child of God. That is a miraculous work made possible by the Holy Spirit. So how do we apply this <clears throat> to our lives? Let me, let me just conclude. Give you four ways that, and I'm sure there are many more applications that as you think about this may come to mind. But here's just several that, that kind of gripped me. The, the first application is this, is to appreciate, to appreciate the gift and work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is just an amazing gift that God has given to us. You know, Luke says, you know, if you have a good father, we sang that today, he's a good, good father, he's a good, good father. Luke says, if you have a good, good father, he's going to give you good gifts. And Luke, he could, have, he could have said a lot of things, but he says, will not your father give, and he says, the Holy Spirit <clears throat> to those who ask him. It's the Holy Spirit that creates that new nature, that new desire, that new power to even want to live for God. You know, the Holy Spirit is, is and, and the work God is doing is not just so we could be forgiven. <clears throat> it's not just so one day we could, we could get to heaven. It's far more than that. It would, it would be like if, if you were a gal and you married a rich guy. A guy had all kinds of resources. And you said, you know what? I'm looking so forward to being married to you because... I'm not going to have to work anymore. <clears throat> and besides that, we're going we're gonna to go on some really fun vacations together. I'm going to get to see some really fun places. And so that's why I'm looking forward to getting married to you. So what's missing in that? What does a guy want to hear? You know what? What, what I'm really looking forward is to, is to spending my life with you and to knowing you, and to relating to you, and to just living life out, whatever comes, together with you. I don't think God's any different. I think God's looking for more than just, well, I'm forgiven, so now I don't have to worry about performing anymore, and you know what? God's got this mansion for me in heaven. I'm looking forward to that. I think God's put his spirit predominantly in you because he wants to be with you. And he wants to walk with you and talk with you and commune with you and fellowship with you and, and walk through all the things of life together with you. And that's made possible through this Holy Spirit who comes in and puts this new spirit within us. If you don't have a new spirit, you're not a Christian. That's how we talked about, you know, if you're just focused on studying the Bible and, and the text and orthodoxy and, and all that, you've missed the point. The point is a relationship with God through the work, regenerating work of his spirit within you. Here's the second thing. This, I think another way we can apply this is that we need to be cooperating with the Holy Spirit in this work of sanctification in our lives. 
we need to realize I think we all understand that there's a part of us that just that we probably don't like. It's a part of us that gets angry, it's a part of us that has thoughts that we know are not good, and we all we all have that. But God by his grace has given us a new spirit where in a, in a in not uh, he's he's regenerated our spirit and, and also given us the Holy Spirit to minister and speak and empower. And so we need to realize that everything we need for life and godliness has been given us in that new spirit and in the Holy Spirit who resides. And so we need to begin saying, you know what? I got a lot of junk from the past. I need to start living in the newness of life. I need to, start, I need to just be living out this new nature. I need to be diligent about the transformation, the sanctifying work that God by his spirit is wanting to do in my soul because I got things in me that I know are <clears throat> out of line with what the Spirit of God would want to be doing. And so we are, you know, we are, we've all developed these ways of thinking and acting and thus our emotions and all this which is opposed, opposite to what God is trying to do and we need to understand that and, and take advantage of what God is wanting to do in our lives. Thirdly, I think this helps us understand the role of trials in our life. Understand the role of trials. Second Corinthians, it says, you know, though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Losses, hardships, all of that, you know, we have desires in our soul, and, and God made us that way. He made us, we love beauty, we love food. We have, you know, a lot of things, we, we, we desire these things, and, and God made us that way. <clears throat> but I kind of look at those things as part of our, you know, part of our soul and, and who we are. And, and then God has given us his spirit. And I think there's a distinction there, and I, I think that God is wanting us, God is wanting our spirit to inform our soul and to live out of that. And so there is a spiritual discipline. I'll give you one example. <clears throat> there's a spiritual discipline called fasting, okay? And when you fast, what do you do? You give up something that you normally enjoy, which is food. And something interesting happens when you fast, especially if you've done this for an extended time. If you were to fast for an extended time, you would notice yourself experiencing much more keenly this, this, this place of the Spirit of God in you and the things of God and the things of this earth might start to grow strangely dim. And there's a heightened sense of spiritual understanding and power through fasting. Why is that? It's because we are getting tuned in to the Spirit, this new Spirit where, where the Spirit of God is, is seeking to work and speak and move within us. And so, you know, you'll find this in people's lives. When the things of earth are stripped away, there is an, a heightened sensitivity. Now, some people can grow bitter. 
But God's design in that is, is to draw us deeper. And so we all look back in our lives and see places where God has drawn us deeper. I remember when I was in Roseau, there was a gentleman, his name was Everett Erickson. He was an overseer in the church, and he was, uh, came down with a terminal illness, and he, was, he had a habit of always, always reading the paper with a cup of coffee every morning, as long as his wife could remember he'd always done that. And I remember coming out to visit, and I said, so is Everett still reading the paper? She said, no. She said, he, he had no interest in, in that anymore. She said, he's living in a different world. It's a different place. The things of this world are, are kind of gone, and they've been stripped away, but amazingly, it's, it's, it's a very different place, and as we, as we enter into that place of the Spirit, we find ourselves as living out, though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly there's, there's some kind of a renewal that's, that's going on. Lastly, I think as we, as we look at this, I think we can understand the, the place that unbelievers are in. I think we need to quit playing, I think we need to quit complaining about things that unbelievers do and think and act. They they are dead. They live with a, a dead spirit. They can't hear the things of God. If they do, it's very staticky. I, I understand that the Holy Spirit speaks to without the Holy Spirit speaking to people, they can't hear. But they don't get to live where you get to live. They don't have the Holy Spirit living within them, giving them revelation and insight and, and teaching them and all of, the, all of the privileges we have because the Holy Spirit is, is within us and has done this work in our being. And so let's just understand that, you know, they need Jesus. And God works from the inside out. He doesn't work from the outside in. The only way they're going to change is a change of heart in the core of their being. It's going to be a born-again experience in their spirit where they come to life and they begin to hear the Holy Spirit and, and we know how that changes how we look at everything. Let me just share a, a reading in, in conclusion. It's one of my, my favorite readings. It was by Judge James T. Knutson. He actually read this at his funeral. And this is what he writes. I stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which men walk when they find God. There's no use my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside and they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. And all that so many ever find is only the wall where a door ought to be. And they creep along the wall like blind men with outstretched, groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door, yet they never find it. So I stand by the door. And the most tremendous thing in the world is for men to find that door, the door to God. And the most important thing any man can do 
is to take hold of one of those blind groping hands and put it on the latch, the latch that only clicks and opens to a man's own touch. Men outside that door as starving beggars die on cold nights and cruel cities in the dead of winter die for want of what is within their grasp. They live on the other side of it, live because they have not found it. And nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find him. And so, I stand by the door. Father, thank you for the amazing gift of being born again. Father, this isn't just something we believe that makes us different. This is something we believe and place our faith in that brings about a transformation in our life. It brings about a a miraculous work of somehow you regenerating the spirit that has died and bringing it back to life so that we can hear your voice and we can understand you and we can follow you and that, that we can be transformed in the deepest part of our souls. So Father, might we just be grateful for that work? Might we submit ourselves to the process of the sanctifying work that you want to do in us? And uh, Father, might we all, always, always not forget that there are many, many people around us that are waiting to find that door. So we pray to that end today. Lord, thank you for, for your truth. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for these truths. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.